When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. The theory that we have developed advanced flying objects to me, it doesn't make sense because if we had, I think we would be making a lot more money from them and governments would be doing a lot more with them. But they are still, I mean, governments are spending billions, for example, even trying to find something as simple as how to not make a sonic boom when you uh, fly faster than the speed of sound. Well, these craft that people see, these objects, do seem to be able to do this without even breaking sweat. So in the last 70 years, if mankind had the ability to deconstruct and rebuild these things, I think we'd have done it and we'd have made a lot of money out of it. And today's transport system would look a lot different to the way it does. Did you know you can now stream episodes of this podcast on your mobile device? All you need is my new Conspiracy Unlimited app. It's absolutely free and it's available for both iOS and Android devices. If you're a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member, pay attention. You can now stream premium content from your mobile device. My free Conspiracy Unlimited app for iOS and Android. Available from the App Store and Google Play. Get yours today and start streaming Conspiracy Unlimited on your mobile device. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. My next guest has documented 
40 of the most important UFO cases, nine official projects and reports on the subject, 13 fascinating strange UFO characteristics, 20 possible explanations for UFOs, the very best photographic and video evidence. It's all documented in his book, The Outsider's Guide to UFOs. This is just volume one, Mystery and Science. James Abbott is a highly experienced researcher, he spent years studying this timeless debate as an outsider with no vested interests. He presents all sides of the story without fear or favor. James Abbott, how are you? Good morning, Richard. Yes, I'm fine, thank you, and thanks very much for having me on the show. My pleasure. We, we spoke uh, a number of weeks ago on, on Coast to Coast, and we had a little more time on, on Coast, so this will be more of a truncated version. Uh, but it, it's, it does fascinate me uh, as a researcher, and you build yourself as an outsider. What does that mean? How are you an outsider in this field? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I've been thinking about that myself for many, many years. I don't think you're ever an outsider for anything, um, what basically what there are in the UFO universe, if you like, are people who are what I call the diehards, the people who believe in something one way or the other, and they um, hold to those beliefs without really thinking too much or too hard about it. They are they're, they're the zealots, and they have good reason for thinking the way they do. And they're either massively against the whole concept of UFOs or they're um, unbelievably for it. Now, somewhere in the middle are people who have uh, doubts. They don't quite know what's going on. They get influenced by the media to believe that people are, um, well, maybe kooks and cranks who believe in UFOs. And therefore, they steer away from the subject. Well, the book is for them. It's for people who who may have doubts and are a little bit frightened of the subject. But um, uh, what I wanted to do really was to present the facts for them and say, well, this is actually what is happening at the moment. And although it is absolutely stunning, it's what's happened. It's what people are seeing. When you look at the world of ufology today and the way it's being studied and the way it's being presented, there's a saying that's very vogue these days, and it's don't get too far over your skis. Don't get too far yeah. out over your skis. In other words, I guess this comes from the ski jumpers. And if you lean too far over your skis, I mean, you can you can go you know down the hill, ass over tea kettle. Do you find that the world of ufology has fact gotten too far out over its skis in terms of the assumptions that it's making about this phenomena? About a year ago, I would have said yes. I would have said it's absolutely it's uh, it's way out over the edge of its skis. But today, I think quite the reverse. I think in some ways, the world of ufology is behind the curve. The latest sightings by U.S. Navy pilots are absolutely stunning. And the evidence that's being released, um, albeit reluctantly by the U.S. Department of Defense, means that we have clear, I mean, very, very clear and very, very solid evidence of something happening over both the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans over a 10-year, 12-year span. And for me, I don't care how many other sightings there have been, and, and there have been some very, very compelling ones. These are, these are, you know, about as good as you're ever going to get. You dedicate a chapter to this next area in your book, Seeing is Believing. I can't think of another field where there is so much photographic evidence, so much video evidence, and yet 
we have these blinders on. Even, you know, skeptics, when confronted with photographic evidence or video evidence of, of something, will say, okay, well, I'll concede that point, but not so in this field. What's going on? What is the psychology at work here? The, the psychology, I think, is the psychology of fear, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the unusual. Uh, Human beings are very, very protective, and they will they'll believe anything if you actually show them. And sometimes they'll believe things that actually don't exist. You know, mag- magicians at the theater uh, produce magic that people think has actually happened, but it, ha- but it hasn't. So humans are very strange, but one of the things they are very, very good at is protecting themselves. Uh, the, the whole field of UFOs and ghosts and goblins and goodness knows what else is is something that people well but they use laughter as a defense against it so they poke fun at people who see ufos and they think they all run around with tinfoil hats but but in fact what's actually happening is that the the, the psychology blinds them it stops them from seeing what is really there and it's it's happened in the past after all we've had you know we used to have witches in both europe and in the, in the uh, in north america and the, the the local population would would laugh at them, but live in fear of them and try to ignore them if they possibly could. And I think that's what's happening with UFOs. People fear the the subject because it's uh, it's something we don't understand. Is that a little bit like normal biases? In times of some cataclysmic event, there seems to be a couple of types of people. You have the people that will just say, well, there's nothing wrong, nothing going on here. Let's just continue on as normal. And then there are the people who say, no, we've got, we've got a problem here. We need to take the bull by the horns. So is that what's happening, normal biasy? People are just saying, I, I don't, I don't want to know. Yeah, I think, I think it is what's happening. I think pe- people tend to revert to something they understand and something they feel comfortable with. So consequently, if somebody says, that they've seen. I mean, you can you can actually see it with the with the latest um, videos with the U- U.S. Navy videos. They've they've been released. Now I could make a very good argument for those being the most uh, important UFO uh, releases in many many years. In fact, ever. Um, and yet, the, the most of the world goes about its normal business, and uh, about nine out of ten people don't even know those videos exist. So, yes, we do protect ourselves. We, we, we cling to normality. We have our comfort blankets. But the scientific community isn't supposed to be about that. Where is the intellectual curiosity? You don't have to conclude that we're talking that these things are piloted by, you know, little green men from some distant galaxy. Just as a phenomena, though, where is the intellectual curiosity? Where are the scientists saying, wow, what is going on here? It may be nothing nothing even close to what some people suppose it to be, but it is a fascinating phenomenon, yeah. yet no intellectual curiosity. Yeah, I think scientists are always intellectually curious, but they are also human. They fear ridicule. They fear being cast out uh, into the cold. I mean, there is a sense in which scientists are exactly like the rest of us. You know, if we get, if we get too far out in our jobs and the bosses start looking at us and wondering, what on earth is this guy doing? then um, we, we stand the chance of maybe seeing a, a paycheck at the end of the week and it will be the last one. And the scientists fear that. They fear that um, if they leave the herd, that they will be, uh, they will be castigated and cast into our outer darkness forever. So it's, it's not a lack of, 
of intellectual curiosity. It's a fear of, of being different. Um, and scientists are just like anybody else for that. They don't want to be seen to be different. Uh, we were talking about some of the best photographic uh, or film video evidence, and uh, we were discussing the 1957 incident at Edwards Air Force Base, and astronaut Gordon Cooper was um, was there while well, he was a colonel at that time. Not a, Was he an astronaut in 1957? He hadn't entered into the program, I guess. He was still just sort of strictly a military guy, correct? Yeah, this was this was 1957 actually when when this uh, event happened, um, and he was an astronaut in in 67, but but, but he was just a, a he was a captain when when this this happened. And what did he witness? Well, it was it was he didn't actually witness anything. Um, what happened was he had uh, two of his lads were out on the uh, on, in the desert setting up on the Salt Lake, setting up um, an experiment. They were, they were testing a landing system, an automatic landing system, and they were using very high-quality cameras and film to try and track the aircraft as it followed the, um, the radio signals into the landing space. Um, and they were setting up about 8 o'clock in the morning, um, and Cooper just let them get on with it. He was back at base. But um, about an hour after they went out there, they came back to base, and they ran up to Cooper and said, look, uh, we, we, we've just seen a UFO, sir. And Cooper was very skeptical about the whole thing, and naturally. And he said, uh, I, I don't suppose you actually took any film of it. And they said, well, actually, we did. So Cooper said, okay, um, give me the film, and we'll, uh, we'll think about it. And these guys were very reliable. So Gordon Cooper was, was very um, convinced by what they'd, they'd seen and said. They actually said that um, a craft landed 50 yards away from them while they were setting up their equipment. They managed to get some shots of it before it um, it lifted and flew away. So Cooper was neither neither believing or disbelieving at this point. He um, he phoned his superiors, and they said to him, "Well, look, get the film developed, but do not look at any of the photographs, and we'll send a courier to get both the film and the photographs." within 24 hours. So Cooper did that. He sent it to the base labs, got it, got it developed, and sure enough, the, the uh, uh, courier arrived for the equipment, for the, sorry, for the films, and Cooper sent them off to higher authorities. But before he did, he'd only been told not to look at the photographs. He did look at the film that had been developed um, and ran a few feet of it through his through his hands against the window and what he saw he said was extremely convincing and very compelling um, and he particularly was a believer from that that day on um, what he did expect however was that he would be interviewed and that his men would be interviewed subsequently about this event because it was quite a stunning sighting um, 50 yards away from these guys well you know, that never happened. It never, ever happened. And from that day on, Gordon Cooper, who's one of the bravest men probably, you know, one would ever want to know, um, believed that the, the U.S. government was covering things up. Sure. He was part of the uh, the Mercury um, space program, if I remember correctly, or was it Gemini? And no, he was Mercury. Mercury. And, uh, I think he flew on one of the Gemini missions, but he was certainly Mercury. And he was, when I say he was brave, I mean, this guy actually fell asleep in orbit. Um, he fell asleep before he was um, launched once. Now, I mean, in those days, well, 
even in these days, riding a rocket is a pretty dangerous thing to do. In those days, you were literally being strapped on top of a ballistic missile. And these, these chaps were taking their life in their hands a big time. So, you know, for a guy to fall asleep while he was doing it shows how, um, how cool he was. And on one occasion, he actually piloted his Gemini craft back to Earth using just his wristwatch um, because the computers had broken down. Oh, my gosh. That's a, that's a real American hero, folks. And he never yeah. deviated from that story until the day he died, correct? That's correct, yeah. Never, never changed his mind, never stopped accusing the American government of, being, of covering up the, the UFO, the whole UFO thing. But many other people have done the same. I mean, you know, Edgar Mitchell, another astronaut, says pretty much the same thing. And there are officers and eminent people all over the world, in fact, who are saying that their governments are doing the same thing. Uh, another uh, military man, this is going back to 1952 in Utah, Tremonton photos, and this was a trained, this was a chief Navy photographer, the U.S. chief Navy photographer who, uh, who took some images. T- tell me about Tremonton, Utah. Yeah, the Utah one is, is really interesting because um, Delbert Newhouse was uh, a warrant officer, a Navy warrant officer. He's got about 2,000 hours in the air taking uh, military photographs and so on. So he knew his equipment, he knew his, he knew his stuff. He'd been reposted and he was driving across um, the state to his new posting with his family. And obviously, you know, that takes quite a few days. So they were stopping overnight and then getting on in the car and on this particular day they'd really just set off that morning and they were they were just just outside the the town of tremonton when his wife started saying to delbert um plus stop the car you know um there's some things out there in the sky you've got to see them and he was obviously he wanted to get on because he'd got he'd got a lot of miles to put under that car before they could stop again and he did not want to be distracted. So he fought this for a few minutes. But naturally, as, as in most cases, the wife won. And he stopped the car and got out and looked at these things that she'd seen in the sky. Well, they were evidently at that point almost overhead the, uh, the car. And he was absolutely stunned, ran to the back of the car to get his 16-millimeter camera out. Well, if you've ever used one of those cameras, you know that they take just a bit of time to get set up. But he was an expert. He got it set up in minutes. And he was able to take some film of some object in the sky in, against a, a clear blue uh, Utah sky. And they were, they were amazing. But what was even more amazing was the story that he and his family told of these things being metallic, being round, silent, moving incredibly fast and in different directions and so on. But then again, you see, this is another story of a film that went missing because he sent it to his superiors. The film was um, developed and he saw most of it. And indeed, Project Blue Book saw most of it. Uh, You know, Edward Ruppelt describes this in his book. Um, uh, But Newhouse was always very upset about the thing because he, he always swore that the authorities deleted what was perhaps the most compelling part of that film, which was of one of the uh, craft or objects, whatever they were, departing very, very fast by itself in a different direction. Um, And he he tracked it with his camera deliberately to give an impression of speed, but this, this bit of the film went missing and has never surfaced since.
he was a, an officer in the Navy or the chief photographer in the, in the Navy. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that when we're, when we have military people uh, come forward and talk about UFOs or when we have uh, police uh, come forward, keeping in mind that, you know, police testimony in court carries a lot of weight. If it's your word against theirs, you know, that you ran a stop sign, they win because they're supposed to be <laughs> trained observers. And yet, when they come forward and talk about UFOs, all of a sudden the skeptics say, well, they can make mistakes. You, 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 you write a lot about that in, in, in the book. What's going on there? Yeah, it's the same thing, isn't it? The, um, the authorities are, they're, 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 you know, you've got to imagine that there are thousands and thousands of police officers out there and thousands and thousands of senior police officers. Some of them, just like in any job, some of them are more fearful for their jobs than others. Some, if, if a police officer comes back to you and says, look, sir, I've just seen an object in the sky and it did this and it did that, some, some people would have the bravery and the, and the guts to say, well, okay, I'll pass it on to higher authority and you, you tell you know, one of the UFO organizations. But most would say, look, no, I don't, want, I don't want the public getting to know that my officers go around seeing things in the sky. Um, so, you know, next thing you'll be seeing fairies. So just keep it to yourself and don't tell anyone and we'll, we'll try and sweep it under the carpet. And that, I think, is the normal reaction of most police officers. I don't think it's malicious. I don't think there is a, a national plan to silence the police about UFOs. I think it's just, it's just a natural human reaction when they think they're going to be ridiculed. Have you been in touch with Gary Heseltine? He's a UK uh, former police officer, I believe, who uh, has a, a website dedicated to police sightings of UFOs in, in Great Britain. Yeah, I, no, I haven't. I've tried on a couple of occasions, but uh, last time I tried, he was away on, on uh, vacation, so I couldn't get to, to talk to him. But, yeah, I've tried. And, and yeah, the, the, the accounts of police sightings are extremely compelling. Um, and you, you can talk about in France, in Britain, in the Netherlands, in Norway, in the United States, in Canada, of course. All sorts of police people are seeing these things because they're out at night. Um, you know, only the other day there on the um, uh, on the Coast to Coast interview, there was a chap called in, and he'd been a police officer for 27 years and hadn't told anybody about his sighting, but he and his uh, colleagues saw a UFO while they were standing outside a bar one night. Oh, that's right. Yes, now I remember that call. Yes. Yeah. So... What are we um, What are we going to do about this? In terms of you know, we've had so many uh, different you know official government sanctioned uh, studies. We had Project Blue Book. We had before that we had Grudge, which was obviously designed just to debunk um, the whole idea of UFOs. I guess probably most of them have been <laughs> have been created with that in that with that in mind. But what would it take in your mind? to conduct a proper scientific uh, a study of UFOs? Well, number one, I think, Richard, it's got to be international. Um, anything that's set up on a national basis probably would not succeed. And you've only got to look at the UFO organizations over the years. They've done sterling work, I mean, incredibly good work, 
um, from MUFON downwards. Some of them are good, some of them aren't so good, um, but they all have hundreds, if not thousands, of very willing volunteers who try to get to the bottom of things. And uh, to be honest, they do an incredibly good job. But, but they haven't really got too far because they haven't got the money to be able to do that. Um, so domestically, I don't think there's going to be too much chance of uh, any, any light at the end of the tunnel until we get a big international effort together. Now, you know, given the jealousy, the inter-organizational inter jealousy of most UFO organizations, indeed all organizations all over the world, the, the best opportunity, I think, will be a brand new organization set up with um, a lot of money. Um, whether that's ever going to be possible, I don't know. But I think there are enough billionaires scattered around the world to be able to fund something that would give us a reasonable chance of success. I'm not a huge fan of the United Nations, at, at least as you know, the, the, as a political body, the General Assembly, and so forth. You know, it seems to be run by a lot of tin pot dictators uh, who sit on human rights councils and things like that. It's a kind of absurd in many regards. But uh, w w what do you think about a UN agency uh, sponsoring such a study? I mean, it has yeah, to have some gravitas of a, a, a. It has to have some sort of sanction, governmental sanction, don't you think? Yeah, I, I'm not so sure about that. I don't think it does. I'm a, I'm, I'm a great believer in private enterprise, and I think um, the United Nations gets slower and slower with every decade that goes past. It takes them several years even to get together a peacekeeping mission um, with any success, and to do anything which was really, really difficult. I think it would be, well, for a start, get governments to agree to it. Uh, Security Council, you know, all of, all of the major players, um, the United States and the UK and France, they've all got vetoes. Um, Russia might put a veto in and China might think it was nice and mischievous to do that. So, yeah, I think trying to get the UN to do something would be, uh, would be beating your head against a brick wall. I think the only way of doing this will be a private organization, but... And the eminence, I think, the status, um, the quality will come from the way the research is done and the sorts of universities that get involved. What is your take on, on um, the current disclosure movement? We had, of course, the, 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 the uh, New York Times article that came out in December of 2017. We've had some, you mentioned the, um, the Navy uh, video footage. Um, now it's it seems to have fallen back into that old pattern where there's a you know the 48 hour news cycle people get really excited and then once again it's just simply forgotten. Uh, what what do you make of what's going on in the disclosure movement right now? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The 48 hour news cycle kills most things and people go about their normal business. You know, there's nothing to see here, folks. Off off you go. Um, it's not surprising. We have a tendency, and it's a self-protective tendency, to forget almost everything once it's been on the news. And in some ways that's great, because some things are just too harrowing to remember. And I think what people do is they've got better things to do in their lives than to worry about what, what U.S. Navy pilots saw in 2004. So, again, you see, trying to get anything moving is going to take a long time. And the... The only way of doing it, in my view, is to get a, a big organization together to do this in the background while everybody is going around uh, doing their normal things. The Outsider's Guide to UFOs, James Abbott.
This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Tis the season to give the perfect gift C60 Evo organic oil elixirs and facial serum sets. And uh, here with a, uh, a tip on how to get a proper night's rest is the co-founder and chief scientist of C60 Evo, Chris Burroughs. Chris, welcome back. How are you? Richard, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I just want to share one of the tips. I've got a number of them, but one of the tips for getting a good night's sleep is related to naps, right? So we're all interested in naps. Um, and, and the reality is if you're foregoing naps, you probably shouldn't. The data is really clear. You should be taking naps. Uh, just a couple things that you need to be mindful of when you take a nap. Uh, one of them is don't take naps after four right? Because that can tend to interrupt your circadian rhythm. And that's the rhythm that gives your sleep cycle in tune with the rising and falling of the sun. So taking a nap after four can interrupt that and can have a negative impact on your sleep. And then the next thing is keep your nap. Optimal time is about 20 minutes. If so, if you're about to take a nap and maybe you're really tired, one, don't do it after four and two, make sure you set that alarm clock. Maybe you give yourself 30 minutes, but we've all had the experience of taking a nap and waking up like 10 times groggier than when, than we were when we went to sleep. Uh, so keep those naps short and keep them before four. I like to share these kind of sleep ideas with people because one, I love to deliver value. Uh, and two, it's actually our most consistent testimonial with our product, C60 Evo, is people take it in the morning, they report mental focus and energy during the day, and then better sleep that night. Absolutely. Oh, I always take my, I call it the grandpa nap, but uh, I wake up, I don't feel like a grandpa and I'm not a grandpa. So absolutely. Uh, getting a, a good afternoon or early afternoon nap is is key. Gets you going through the rest of the day. C60 Evo products deliver noticeable benefits to people and pets around the world. Immunity boost, deeper sleep, just like Chris said, more energy, mental balance, flexibility, and longevity. And don't forget uh, visit the website, that's c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett, c60evo.com hyphen, c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett, and uh, use the code EVRS, EVRS at checkout, and you save an extra 10%. Chris, we'll talk again next week. Thank you. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. James Abbott stays with us, the Outsider's Guide to UFOs. And you talk about sort of the four theories as to what UFOs might be about. And of course, we have, you know, intergalactic craft. 
the second one has to be um, or is about you know the idea that they are ma- they're they're from here on Earth. The other one is uh, time or dimensional travelers, and fourth, even weirder theories. I want to talk about uh, n- number two, and that is that that, that they they are here on Earth. Does this include craft that are actually advanced aerospace weapons or aerospace? Uh, you know, created by, by humans, uh, perhaps, you know, at uh, Area 51 or, uh, you know, Wright-Patterson, or are we talking about aliens that, uh, that live here, perhaps subterranean um, civilizations and so forth? Yeah, the answer is I don't know, but all of those things are possible, of course. It is possible that we have got the technology, and Roswell gave us a start perhaps back in '47 and that governments have developed uh, craft which can do the things that people see in the sky. And it's also possible that there are aliens living on the planet who have keep their, um, keep their craft in garages near where they work and go flying around the place and doing various things um, uh, at various times. But the first theory, the theory that we have developed advanced flying objects, to me, it doesn't make sense because if we had, I think we would be making a lot more money from them um, and governments would be doing a lot more with them. But they are still, I mean, governments are spending billions, for example, even trying to find something as simple as how to not make a sonic boom when you uh, fly faster than the speed of sound. Well, these craft that people see, these objects, do seem to be able to do this without even uh, breaking sweat. So uh, in the last 70 years, if, if mankind had the ability to deconstruct and rebuild these things, I think we'd have done it and we'd have made a lot of money out of it. Um, and today, today's transport system would look a lot different to the way it does. The second approach, uh, aliens on, on Earth, well, yeah, again, uh, there's nothing to say that that hasn't happened. And there are a lot of theories out there that, says it, uh, that say it has. But again, why be so visible about it? What is it that they want to do that involves um, having vast triangular lighted objects flying slowly over um, populated areas like the Hudson Valley back in the 80s or Belgium in the 90s or Britain in the 2000s? It just it doesn't make sense for them to do that sort of thing. I'm quite prepared to believe that there may be alien bases on Earth, but why all the, uh, the, the, the sort of obvious flying around and the dancing around in full sight of people? It's true. That's the paradox. One, they're not landing on the White House lawn and saying, here we are. And then on the other hand, as you say, there are mass sightings of slowly hovering above Phoenix uh, with their lights blinking, saying, here we are, here we are. So they're being very coy, aren't they? Come here, come here, come here, go away, go away, go away. Yep, it is baffling, but then that's what makes the UFO issue uh, so compelling and so interesting. Because if you don't, if you don't go overboard on, on one side or the other, the middle ground of UFOs is probably the most mysterious thing that humanity has facing it at the moment. Um, there's a bit of science that we have to learn. There are there are parts of, of the mysterious that people don't understand, like the creatures, the Hopkinsville things. Uh, the, the whole thing is, is an incredible mystery. 
Um, but the, the point is, why do they do it? Um, and on the one hand, I've said in the book, you know, one of the simplest examples is tourism with a smattering of scientific and military investigation. <laughs> These things um, exhibit all the characteristics of a tourist coach going around looking at all the sites. So they drift quietly over towns. They, they don't mind anybody seeing them because they know, they know we'll not believe it afterwards and we'll certainly not believe anybody who tells, tells that they've seen it. So what they are, I don't know. But made on Earth, I don't think so. Uh, number three on the list, uh, as you point out in the book, makes, may make some people roll their eyes, but that is something that we have to at least consider, and that is that these are time or dimensional travelers. What do you mean by that specifically? Okay, these theories about time or dimensional travelers are not new. Um, as you say, they make people roll their eyes. And to be honest, it made me roll my eyes when I first read about these things a few years ago. The idea of Time travel has been around for a long time, of course. You know, H.G. Wells was uh, instrumental in making it common culture. Um, and multi-dimensions are something that have been sort of floated around the science fiction community for a long time. But the fact is now we are beginning to understand the physics of time and, and dimensions. And it, it, it is actually weirder and stranger than we could ever have thought. Um, you know, you've only got to read some of the stuff that uh, Professor Nomura of Berkeley is putting out at the moment, and you that you begin to realize that the universe is a very, very strange place. So he he believes, and he has the physics to uh, to back it up, that the, the universe may be, in fact, multiple universes. So we would call those dimensions or or bubbles in which other things happen, and these are infinite absolutely infinite he also believes that time may time itself which is probably the most powerful force in the universe i mean nothing happens without time going in one direction but he believes that it may actually be a matter of probability and that it only exists in the eyes of the, the beholder pretty much like most of what happens in quantum physics now i said i was telling somebody the other day there about this and they said oh god you know that's just weird it's so far out there, we cannot even begin to believe it. So I said, well, okay, here's, here's another one. How about the fact that you don't exist? And they said, what? I said, well, you really don't exist. You know, you've got, you are built in what we understand are, are things that exist in normal physics, you know, particles, atoms, protons. And he said, yep, yeah, that's absolutely right. I said, yeah, but what are the atoms and protons made of? And he said, well, there are smaller particles, and that's true. But if you get down to that level, that quantum level, those particles actually do not exist in anything other than probability. So we, the brick wall that is around us all, those brick walls don't exist. We don't exist. Now, if that's not strange, then, and, and if you can't then think, well, maybe time and dimensional travelers could exist, then, well, you're not thinking straight. So our reality is just one gigantic Schrodinger cat experiment. Is that the idea? Yeah, could be. Um, and what we're talking about here is something maybe that uh, is um, a matter of probability. It seems that the whole universe operates uh, at a level below the one we see and understand. 
and many of the scientists that are looking into this, and this, is, this goes back to your point, I think, about science taking things seriously. They may not be taking UFOs seriously, but what they are taking seriously is, is the science which underlies where the, how UFOs probably, possibly could um, operate, and that is that there is, there is no certainty anymore. We don't live in a Newtonian universe where the mechanics work and they work every time in exactly the same way. We live in what is effectively a probabilistic universe in which things only work if you look at them. Now, the possibility that we are talking about a spiritual phenomena, that these could be from an angelic realm, uh, for those who believe in a biblical narrative or one of the major theistic religions who believe in angels, would that be covered by number three, time and dimensional travelers? Yeah, it could be. I mean, whatever you call whatever it might be happening, it is something that is beyond what we know at the moment. It's, you know, a lot of people think they know what's going on and a lot of people believe in what is going on, but but we don't actually know at the moment. Um, And, you know, if I was to talk to one of my physicist friends nowadays, he would say to me, we would probably never know for sure because truth, as you, uh, you know, as one often hears it put, actually doesn't exist. There is no such thing because it only exists in one universe at one particular time and in one particular set of circumstances. And number four, which is just (laughs) goes totally off the rails, it's J. Allen Hynek talked about mind and matter. So explain what this fourth explanation is for UFOs. Okay, the fourth explanation or fourth possible explanation for what we see is that they are just mental images, that they don't actually exist in any physical sense. And again, this ties in with number three and what we are already beginning to understand about the way that the universe acts, that in fact things don't work the way we've always believed them to work and the way we were taught at school that they worked. And Alan Hynek came up with this idea that maybe some of these things that people see in the sky are not actually there. They're projections that something somewhere is projecting the images into people's minds. And again, you you sort of occasionally find accounts of people who see UFOs and say, they made me feel better, or as soon as I thought come towards me, they did come towards me. And as soon as I got scared, they went away again. And it's It's those sort of things that made Alan Hynek think, well, maybe these things are mental rather than um, original, uh, rather than physical. And, of course, then you've got the the theory that maybe some of them are actually living creatures. And, um, you know, this is going back to the Scott and Ivan Sanderson's theories about uninvited visitors, that, in fact, the universe is, is just as strange as we are beginning to understand it to be and that out there there are creatures whole creatures that are so large um, that they can appear to be objects and that the creatures themselves um, control not control but can influence minds now it's funny because I had a, a conversation with uh, Grant Cameron, a noted Canadian ufologist and who has yeah. scoured presidential uh, libraries looking for documents pertaining to UFOs, particularly the Clinton Library. And uh, he uh, is now of the mind that it, we're probably talking about number four. In fact, he, he talks about a conversation he had with 
I believe it was a, pr- a professor at either Harvard or Princeton who uh, had knowledge of you know the, the infamous Majestic 12 group, those that are charged with keeping a lid on the UFO secret. And what this gentleman told him, his name escapes me, um, uh, but he, he, he said, if you really want to understand the UFO phenomena, you have to understand psychic ability, which was also something that Ben Rich said, who was, of course, the, uh, the director of Skunk Works, uh, the uh, Boeing's experimental um, R&D uh, branch. So is that what we're talking about? Do you think with number four that this, it has to do with consciousness and psychic ability? Yes, it could. It could indeed. The, the, again, you see, the whole thing is about our lack of knowledge about the way things really work in the universe and our lack of understanding of how people communicate. We, we know, for example, that um, psychic ability and tele, telepathic ability can exist. You know, we know it can't be replicated a lot of the time, but we, we also know that there are too many stories of people having mental contact with another person, even if it's just a feeling that they um, are in trouble or a feeling that they are, um, that, you know, that they are happy or whatever. We, we know that all of that stuff exists, and we, 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 we tend to lay it off as a, um, an imagination and overactive uh, um, you know, sort of people, but it's um, it's possible. Yes, it's it, it's entirely possible because until we understand how two particles, two quantum particles, can be in different places at the same time, until we understand how those same particles can effectively communicate over astronomical distances faster than the speed of light, then we we really shouldn't be writing off things like mental images and psychic ability. And yet, there does seem to be some physicality to this phenomena as well. Now, we're told that Robert Bigelow, um, who is involved in in um, ATIP, the um, Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program, and this was sort yeah. of behind the uh, the December New York Times article, uh, we're told that maybe disclo- this whole disclosure thing has been has been turned over to him and that he has sitting in a warehouse somewhere you know little bits and pieces of metal and parts from these craft uh if that's the case why doesn't he just show us or or is 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 he now going to uh uh, sort of hoard this material and this technology uh in, in which case we'll never have disclosure yeah, I, yeah, Robert Bigelow um, and the whole Bigelow thing is, is just as much of a mystery as the UFO. Um, we've, um, we've been trying to get to the bottom of that for a while. So it, it gives me a little bit of hope that there is something happening out there that will uh, give future generations just as much fun as we've had in, in getting into the UFO phenomena. But yeah, if he's got bits sitting in a warehouse somewhere and he's um, doing anything with them, my guess is what he's trying to do is to understand them. Um, we, we simply, well, I think it's more likely that we don't understand what these bits and pieces of metal or uh, technology are and that we're trying to do it. And until we do, I don't think Bigelow or the U.S. government or any government, the Canadian, the British, the French, whatever, will start announcing or disclosing anything. I get the impression, though, after reading your book, that ultimately, though, this may be just unknowable. What are your thoughts? 
this this may be unknowable. Yes, I, I, I do think that. The, at the end of the day, there are things that we are able to understand and comprehend. Um, and one of the things that a lot of people have said to me when they've, they've commented on the book is that this could be one of those things that we have to mature by maybe another 100, 200, maybe 1,000 years before we have the mental capacity to understand what is happening. This is Volume 1, Mystery and Science. Uh, is Volume 2 in the works, James? Yes, yes it is, yes. Can you, uh, can you tease us a little bit? What is the, uh, the subtitle of this one? Uh, the subtitle is, is Curiouser and Curiouser, and it goes into the 21st century sightings of UFOs and also some of the sort of science issues that we've been talking about uh, this morning, the way that... Uh, you know, we, we simply don't understand what's going on. The Outsider's Guide to UFOs, James Abbott. Thanks for getting up so early in the morning uh, in the UK. Appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.